This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Scott Pinot. I'm the head coach at This Naked Mind, and I am back with another episode of Coaching Questions and another fantastic coach. It's Emily Paulson. How's it going, Emily? Doing well. How are you, Scott? I'm really good. I'm really good. So, um, Emily, you specialize in mommy wine culture. Uh, moms who think wine memes are funny and wear shirts that say, I drink because you cry. Uh, tell me a little bit. I'm very fascinated by this uh, this mommy wine culture thing. So tell me a little bit about it. I want to hear more. Yeah. So, you know, it's all meant as a funny joke that the idea that, you know, parenting's hard and we need something to get through it. And it's sort of this message of solidarity. Um, but where I find it problematic is there was a very long period of time for me personally, when I saw that there was a problem with my drinking and I used those messages, those jokes, those memes, um, as a way to justify my continued use. And so I think while meant as a funny joke, I think there are funnier jokes that we can make, not about an addictive substance. I agree with that. And it just plays into the whole idea, which is fascinating to me, but the idea of like the cultural stories and ideas we have around alcohol. Because I mean, so if you have someone that says, you know, that wears a shirt that says, I drink because you cry. If you changed the word drink to, I don't know, use meth, people would be shocked by that, right? I use meth Mm -hmm. because you cry. Um, And it's funny to me that we have this special carve out for alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any other addictive substance, um, you know, you'd be horrified if if you saw the same t-shirt or the same mug, um, or you made the same joke, even about smoking, even though smoking is also legal, we don't have the same feeling around it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just you know, the lack of information and informed consent that we have around alcohol, it's like on its own little island for some reason. It really is. It's, I have this theory, it's that we all deep down kind of know this isn't a good thing, but we've just agreed to just not talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, It's like this social contract. I don't fully understand it. Um, So when someone comes to work with you, um, how do you work with them? Is it group? Is it one-on-one? How does it work? So I... um, Prior to a year ago, um, I was working one-on-one with clients, and it was typically um, women whose stories kind of looked like mine, who had this long period of knowing and not knowing what to do, and then finally had some consequences and hit rock bottom and needed some help. Um, and then I started hearing from more women who were had never questioned their drinking before, and when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden they were home, they had no boundaries, their stress level was up, and they were drinking more than ever, thinking 
oh, I thought I was a social drinker. I guess I'm not a social drinker. And so now I actually, um, I still do one-on-one coaching, um, but I have a group now specifically for moms um, who are looking to um, get sober, exploring an alcohol-free life, sober curious, um, anywhere along that very big gray area. I think the social aspect of this is really important. Um, Actually, that's the first question I have. I'll just read it. but uh, it goes like this. I am thinking about changing my drinking, but my biggest concern is the others in my mom's group. We all live in the, neighbor- the same neighborhood and we tend to just get together and talk with wine. How can I navigate this change? I have heard so many versions of this question, um, specifically with mom's groups. Um, so how would you answer that? How, how would you suggest someone navigate that change? So... First, I would say, I would ask, like, would you do anything else because other people did? So if it was a group of moms, you went to a play date and everybody started lighting up cigarettes, would you smoke if you didn't? Well, of course the answer is no, I wouldn't smoke. I don't smoke. And so kind of putting that in frame of reference of, are you drinking for yourself or are you drinking because everybody else is drinking? And, and what are you getting out of it? And what is the social interaction? I think we group alcohol into mom's groups, like fun, enjoyment, connection. But if you really break it down, how do you feel after that group is over? Do you remember things? Do you feel better? Do you feel more connected? Or do you feel fuzzy and worry about having to drive home? Mm-hmm. And so connecting it with what am I actually looking to get? Do I want camaraderie? And do I want friendship? Because if, if that's the case, what's in your glass shouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, and really breaking down what you're getting out of it. And, and I, one thing I like to put out there too is, have you ever seen the, the YouTube um, video? It's like the one crazy person. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's like one person starts dancing crazy at a concert and everyone's looking at him. And the one person gets up and joins them. And then everyone's like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. Someone has to be the first person. And so if, if it really is true that everyone else is drinking, which that might not actually be true when you take a look at it, there might be other people drinking seltzer or soda. You may find that there are other women who are like, you know what, it's 10 a.m. I don't really want to have a glass of wine either. Yeah. Sometimes it takes the one person. And so we may have this awareness that everyone else is drinking and going to be the only one. And that might not actually be the case. I love that. I love that. And it's totally true. Um, when you are working with moms who kind of have these sort of questions, do you, do they tend to tell the group? Do they tend to not tell the group? Cause that's another, that's normally a follow-up question to this, right? Like I want to make this shift. What should I do? You know? And I think, I know that culturally we have this idea that we have to have this big speech and like, guys, I'm not drinking and be dramatic about it. Um, but what do you normally recommend when people ask you that? So I, I usually, you know, it's a very personal decision, obviously. Like, you know, I always say no is a complete sentence. If someone offers you a glass of wine and you say no, that's all you ever have to say if you want to. But some people really want to crowdsource information and, and they want to know that they have support. And, you know, I think with moms, one of the most common responses when you say no is, are you pregnant, right? You know, you've yes. got little kids, like it's, it's a possibility, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like the, yeah. usually the first thing you're asked. And I always say to delve as much as you want to. Do you need support? Do you need accountability? Or do you just need to set the boundary? Um, And typically, if people are willing to support, you're not drinking for any other reason. Like, 
if you've said before, you know, hey, I'm on a cleanse or I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow or I'm pregnant, these are people who have been your friends before through periods of not drinking. So I think that plays into it too. And if they've been supportive in the past, really there's no reason why they wouldn't be supportive of any reason you're not drinking. So it's really a personal decision of how much you wanna say, how much accountability you need and, and whether you wanna have the conversation. I love that. And I also like one of my favorite lines when I quit drinking was just saying it wasn't serving me anymore and I'm just taking a break. And so it's not mm-hmm. like this big, like guys have got a problem sort of thing. It's literally just like a statement and then moving on. Um, and so I'm curious too, uh, what your experience has been in working with people, because when this happens, right, you're kind of holding up a mirror. So like, if this is what happens, a group of moms get together and they drink a bunch of wine together. And then one of them says, you know what, that might've been too much, or I want to take a break, or it's not serving me anymore. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of holding up a mirror. So how do you help people navigate that? Cause that can feel a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I think it's natural it's natural for us to want to belong and it's natural for other people to want to belong. And so when you do something that's different, no matter what it is, even if it's good for you, even if it's positive choice, that's going to reflect on other people, whether we like it or not, or whether they like it or not. And so I think just maintaining, you know, whatever reason you are wanting, being really strong in your resolve, whatever it is, even if you are just taking a break, no one needs to know how long that break is. Um, I think ultimately, anybody who has ever drank before knows that you don't feel as good the next day, that you maybe don't perform at work very well the next day. So if the very obvious reason you give, the the reason you give that everyone understands, hey, I don't, you know, I have to drive, whatever it is, um, they understand it. So if there is pushback, to understand that it usually is about the other person. And sometimes it's from the people who are having, asking those same questions for themselves. Um, So it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, in my own experience, I found that the people who asked me the most questions at first or who were the most perplexed by me stopping drinking were the ones who have since also stopped drinking. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not bad, but it can feel uncomfortable. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the idea. And kind of what you said, no is a complete sentence. Like you don't need to defend you know, like it's your decision. So there's no need to go into this ready to like defend your position or anything like that. That it's really about, hey, this is what I'm doing and here's why. And then if it goes into the conversation, it does. And if it doesn't, whatever, right? And just keep Mm -hmm. moving on. I think the, the biggest lesson that I learned from all of this when I went through it is that we always think it's gonna be so much more of a big deal than it actually is. It's like imagining it in the future gets us all worked up and anxious, but then you actually do it. And you say, someone says you want a glass of wine. You say no. And they're like, oh, all right, you want some water. And like, that's what happens in real life. Yeah. And over time, the less of an issue it is, Um, you know, even if you do have an awkward interaction, like at that first mom's group or that first party or whatever it is, and you're saying no, saying no, the next time people don't ask as much the next time, even less, even less. As time goes on, again, it just kind of becomes a new normal and people get sick of asking and you get sick of answering. And then it just becomes, once people are drinking their own thing, they really don't care what you're doing. Yes, that's a great, we'll leave that question there. That's a perfect way to end that. Um, Here's the second question I got. 
my kids are 12 and 15, definitely at the age where drinking is coming up more and more in their social scene. I quit drinking about three years ago and it's been great for me. I don't want them to experience what I did. So I want to talk to them about it, but I'm concerned as coming off as preaching. What's the best way to approach this conversation to actually help them learn about it as opposed to making it taboo? Mm, that's a good one. So the best analogy that, and I use this one all the time because it's so understandable. You know, your kid's 15 and they have to learn how to drive. You don't hand them a driver's license because they've watched you drive your whole life, right? So I think, Overall, parents have this idea that kids learn a sense of healthy drinking or responsible drinking or whatever by watching us or by absorbing what we do. So even me as a non-drinker, it would be easy for me to say, well, I don't drink. My kids aren't going to drink. That's not how it works. Yeah. The, you have to be taught and you have to learn. And so no matter what, even if you've had a, a you know, contempt relationship with alcohol, like if it's been difficult or not. Yeah. Like it's something at some point you have to talk about and a lot earlier than you think, a lot earlier than you think. And I know in my own experience, the things that my kids saw that I didn't know they were seeing, gosh, I didn't know. It wasn't until I had those conversations. And so I think it's really important to just talk in a way of, hey, this is what, you know, alcohol is legal when you're 21. It's illegal right now. You're, it's, you're probably going to be in situations where it's offered to you. This is what it can do. Here's information. This is what it did for me. And I think as a parent who has had, you know, a problem or whatever you want to call it, a parent with alcoholism or, you know, whatever language you personally feel comfortable using, um, or just say, I'm a sober person because it's a positive health choice. It doesn't really matter. You know, using the language to give them information about what it has done to you. I think the personal experience is huge and not in a way that, um, you know, you can't, you, um, I think you can do it in a way that that's not preachy because it is your own experience, but, but ultimately it is, they, they have to be taught the information. They're not just going to absorb it through observation. Um, and they can't apply what they don't know. Yeah. So having the knowledge is, is the most important thing. And they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to go out there and they're going to have to face it. But if they have the whole picture, they're going to make a lot better choices. I, that's so good. And, you know, there's so much that I learned through my own personal journey that I wish I had known. You know, I wish I'd known that a lot of these cultural ideas that we have about alcohol are BS, right? That like mm -hmm. you're actually more stressed out when you finish drinking than when you started and that it leaves you feeling depleted as opposed to this sort of stress relief relaxation tool that it's that it's sort of um, talked about as. And I, I love the idea about talking about the science of that. So it's obviously, you know, as parents, like our experience is gonna be important for kids. But if we can say, this is my experience and this is what I found out, like this is what was going on, I think is, is totally huge. Um, I get this question a lot, particularly around teenagers like this with the question of like, do I just like tell them not to? Like, how do I handle it? Um, and honestly, when you explain the ups and downs, when you explain what's actually going on and you couple that with your own story, very often, I mean, there may be some experimentation, but very often I see people just go, nah, why would I want to do that? 
right? Like if you could really explain what drinking is like, um, it's huge and, and it yeah. makes a massive shift. My daughter is 11 in just a few days. And so she's asked me a bunch of questions about it. Um, so she was six when I quit drinking. Um, so she has some memories of it, but not a ton. And so, you know, I, I love explaining to her like what's actually going on and she's around people who drink on a regular basis and she sees it. Um, and I think those two, those things, my, you know, our experience, what the science is, and then just letting them see someone who's drinking too much, um, it, that can be a real game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, again, it's information is not judgmental. Science is yeah. not judgmental. Like here's facts. And, and, and to still have the boundaries that, Hey, you know, we, we don't tolerate drinking in our house and you know, you're, you're not allowed to drink. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a rule of our house. You're not allowed to drink. And it's also illegal. Um, but there has to be more talking than just about don't do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to hear about it if you do, like it, it yeah. there has to be some information there or they can't make good choices. I always make it very clear that it's her choice. I mean, she, her friends mm -hmm. aren't talking about it yet. I think she just talks about it cause she knows what I do for a living, but, um, mm -hmm. I always try to make it really clear like that at some point, And I, I don't always say when you're 21, cause I know, I mean, that's just not what happens. Um, but at some point you're going to be faced with this decision and that decision is completely yours. Um, that I have found is, is really huge in giving them agency so that they can say, all right, well, thanks for telling me all of this. And I'll take that in consideration, you know, when I'm at that party or you yep. know, whatever that turns out to be. Yep. Awesome. Let's go on to question number three. Here it is. The main reason I drink is stress. I feel like so much revolves around me and my mommy role. By the way, side note, I had a lot of questions about moms and drinking, so <laughs> it was easy to find some. Um, a lot, I feel like so much revolves around me and my mommy role. At this point, I feel like the glass of wine is the only thing that's getting me through the day. If I let this go, and I think I really need to, how can I handle all of the things that are thrown at me? This one is one of the most common you know, how do I handle, how do I cope, how do I, whatever, this belief that, of what alcohol is actually doing. Um, and I think once the alcohol is gone, you realize what you're actually capable of and you realize what alcohol was keeping you from doing. Ultimately, the reason people go to the glass at 5 p.m. Or, or, or noon or whatever, it starts creeping up when you're home with kids all day is because we have this idea that it does something for us and it doesn't mean it's real. It doesn't mean it's really doing anything for us. So the only way to really find that out is to buy not to, to not do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> to out what are those feelings? Like, what is the feeling here? Is it stress? What am I stressed about? Um, it's easy to grab the glass of wine. It's a lot harder to look in and see why am I doing this? What is the stress? Is it because you are having trouble you know, uh, teaching math to your, you know, distance learning child? Is it because you uh, feel like you have too much going on? Do you need maybe some help with something? Do you need to outsource something? Get your kids to help you around the house. Do you need to get more sleep? Do you need to get more exercise? Do you need an outlet? For, like there are so many ways to deal with what we drink for. Mm -hmm. And in my personal experience, you know, I drink for anxiety. I drink for depression. Once alcohol was out of the picture for a while, 
all of a sudden I really didn't have anxiety anymore. It was actually causing the problem that I was trying to cure with the problem and it just creates a need for itself. And so if you have this idea in your brain that drinking is helping you cope with parenting, there's really no way to get off that cycle until you try. Mm-hmm. You try and take it out. You try and see what the feeling is that's actually coming up. The feeling probably isn't thirst for wine. The feeling is going to be stress or um, needing to escape, needing whatever that is. And, and that's where the work starts. That's what the work is all about. I think you point to a really interesting thing. And, and I've seen this with so many people, including a lot of my friends, um, is that over time, we start relying on alcohol to the extent that we don't even know what that thing is. We just, instead of saying, you know, we might start off saying, I'm really stressed, I'd like a drink. Over time, that just gets shortened to, I need a drink, right? And so there's all this whole range of emotions and whole range of things going on inside of us. Loneliness, sadness, anger, frustration, stress, whatever it is. Um, But the answer to all of it becomes, I wanna have a drink. And so to your point, you almost have to try it and see what comes up. And actually, especially with something like stress, because that comes up a ton in these conversations, um, there are so many different ways to deal with it that a trial and error period, you know, when I coach people through this, I'll talk about like, what sounds fun? Like completely unrelated, right? What sounds restful? Like actually having to go through and ask ourselves these questions because for a lot of us, especially I'm assuming a really busy mom, there's not a lot of time to say like, oh, this would be relaxing, right? That's just not something, Mm -hmm. you know, that ends up happening. And so it almost, in some ways, almost feels indulgent, I think, to think about that and and do it. But the reality is, it's like the oxygen mask on an airplane, right? We got to put ours on first before we help the kids. It's the same way here. So when you work with the groups, like what sort of ideas, what sort of things do you see people talking about in terms of dealing with stress? Like what are some real world things you're seeing people do? Yeah. So I think with, with parenting and when you're home and you're around your kids all the time, it's kind of this overload. It's so many things coming at you, so much input and it's overwhelming. And there's this need to like numb out from it, numb from the sound, numb from whatever it is. And there are ways to deal with that. There's ways, you know, turn on music, put in your AirPods, right? Um, but you can also really lean into it. The thing you really want to run the other way from and looking at, gosh, if I don't grab this glass of wine right now, what can I do? I can actually get in the car and drive my kids to the park, or I can, we can all get on bikes and we can go for a bike ride, or we can go outside and jump on the trampoline, or we can actually sit and watch a movie and I'll actually watch it with them instead of just having my wine over here on the couch, or I can teach the kids how to cook this meal with me or something, things that sound like a lot of work compared to just pouring a glass of wine that are actually super productive, that actually give us joy, uh, you know, increase our dopamine, do all those things that we do, you know, we go to this like quick fix. Um, And so looking at like, what can I do? If I don't grab that glass of wine, gosh, it kind of opens the world up to the things I can do. Um, I can stay up and read a book with you without passing out in your bed. You know, I I can um, get through the rest of the night without having to go to the fridge consistently. Um, Mm -hmm. And and asking, also asking like, what what did I like to do as a kid? And and leaning into, really leaning into the chaos, um, which is the opposite of of what you want to do. 
you really can do so much more when you're not numbing out. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting too, because I think the thing, when people talk about this, so right now we're recording this, it's March of 2021. It's been a long year of us all at home. Um, and I think the thing that people really want to run to do, or the thought that they have is I need to get away from this, right? So you mentioned the noise. Oh my God, the noise. Yes. Um, but just mm -hmm. the general chaos and all of that that's going on, right? Like I just need to get away from it. But so often what's really available for us in those moments is actual connection, right? So instead of, instead of them running around and screaming and then you coming out of your office and yelling at them, ask me how I know, right? You can instead be like, hey, let's do this. One of the things I've done so much of over uh, the last year is play video games with my kids. And I know that sounds that kind of, even now I say it, it sounds a little indulgent, I have amazing conversations. You know, we're sitting there playing Minecraft and we're talking about school and we're doing these things. And it's been an incredible opportunity for connection. And you know what else? The connection helps me feel better when they're screaming and running around the next day, you know? And Absolutely. yeah, I think it's, it's interesting when as parents, we look at this stuff as like, I need to get away from this stuff where maybe the answer is more of, I need to redirect this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, we're always looking for a distraction. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps too when it helps as a parent with your kids to also model that when you are having those feelings, when you are feeling overwhelmed, that you can still find a healthy outlet for that, that you don't have to just go to the phone and start scrolling or go to, you know, whatever it is, whatever the glass of wine or whatever the distraction from the noise. Yeah. Like if, if you're just, if you're disturbed by the mess, like, Hey, hey let's all have a, a cleanup session right now. Or if you're disturbed by the noise, Hey, let's all have a dance party right now. Like lean into the most uncomfortable thing in the most productive, fun way possible to get through it rather than avoid it. Cause you drink and then you come back and the chaos and the mess is still there and you've done nothing with it. Right. It's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Awesome. I love that. Uh, all right. It's time for a curveball question. Are you ready for that? Okay, I guess. Right. So Emily, uh, if you could be any Disney villain, who would you be? Oh my gosh. Um, I'll tell you my answer too. I love this. I actually came up with an answer right away for this for me, but. Oh, well, I've, I feel like I've watched so many, um, so many Disney movies. I'm going to have to narrow that down. Um, I would say I am not going to be able to think of her name because it's just a movie I just saw this weekend. It's the one with the dragon. Um, Rhea and the dragon. It's, it's a brand new movie. Oh, I haven't even seen that movie. one yet. <laughs> oh, yes. It just came out. But the reason is, so the villain is one of, this is now I've got to have to give you like the whole plot of the movie. It's, um, it's all different, all different villages and they're all different parts of the dragon. They were all like, they were all one land and then all, all these crazy things happened and then they were all banished to their own like lands and they were all enemies. And the two like main enemies were both these women. And at the heart of it, they like really wanted the same things. And in the end, they trusted each other and the villain was the one who like saved the whole day. So um, I, I think I, I would love, I, I love that. I love that story because I think even if you're the villain in someone else's story, you can always be the hero. I, that's amazing. 
That's so much better than my answer was going to be. I was going to say the the princess and the frog, the bad guy in that, Dr. Facilier is like a card shark. And I love New Orleans. So that would have been my answer. But that's just because I think he's badass. You had a much more eloquent reason for that. So the first thing that actually popped in my mind was Corilla DeVille. Because I'm like, I bet she's got some great like furs laying around. I'm like, that's terrible. I can't say that. So there you go. That was That was the first thought. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me, Emily. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to do that? Uh, so they can find me at emilylynnpaulson.com and also Sober Mom Squad at SoberMomSquad.com. Awesome. Thank you. And to those of you listening, thank you so much. We will be back again soon with another edition of Coaching Questions. And until then, take care. It's Scott Pinyard, head coach here at This Naked Mind. Are you ready to make instant changes to your drinking? The answer is not in restriction or deprivation, and you don't need more self-control. I am here to tell you that you can break your patterns and habits and finally feel liberated from alcohol. You can return to a life where alcohol is small and irrelevant for you. It's a non-issue. Take it or leave it. Annie has three secrets to control your drinking, and she and I are going to teach them all live in a special three-day free virtual event. Learn the three secrets to control your drinking and make changes instantly live with us. Don't miss this amazing event. Learn more and save your spot today at controlalcohollive.com. We can't wait to see you there. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today. 